name is Tracy Cook and welcome to the podcast series Victim to Victory. This series gives a voice to those that have overcome obstacles in all forms, that dare greatly to share their real stories. Amazing humans that have seen hope and risen above those adversities to become victorious, that now support and inspire others to do the same. And today we are giving a voice to Lisa Drennan. Welcome, Lisa, to Victim to Victory. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. You're very welcome. Now, before Lisa gets into her story, I want to share with you just a little snippet into what she does. And um, she is an author of Forgiving the Girl Inside, Finding Balance, Freedom and Fun in Your Life. And no doubt we're going to hear how that book actually came about. And I bet, I bet that's tied to Lisa's story as well. So Lisa, who are you and where does your story start? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. It's, it's um, I am a child of God. I am a um, from Rochester, New York. I was born and raised here. I grew up with a family. I'm the youngest of three or four, rather. I have three older brothers. I'm the only girl. So if you can imagine, um, I come from a Catholic Italian family. My mom wanted a girl so bad and she got me. I came out screaming. And um, she passed away now, but she used to tell me that I had, for such a tiny person, I had this really powerful voice and that always stuck with me. I asked why a lot when I was growing up. Unfortunately, when I was around two, my parents split up, very, very ugly divorce. And we moved to California. Was My mom was with a man that she married that was very strict, very strict. And we were there for a couple of years, came back home. My brothers and I were split. So my two older brothers are like seven to nine years older than me. And then I have a brother that's a year older than me. So we kind of had like two separate families and I'm not sure where they went, but we were with my mom and there was a lot of, um, my mom was going out a lot, being divorced, being a single parent. And my older brother was responsible for taking care of us. And somewhere along the line, I was molested. And I'm not really sure, like, if I was three years old when it started, it lasted till about seven. But I was exposed to drugs, um, watching R-rated movies. And, like, you know, so here's this four or five-year-old who's petrified to sleep by myself. And as soon as my mom would come home from, you know, her outings, I would, like, crawl into bed with her. And she'd be like, what are you doing? You know, you can't sleep in here. And I'm like, I'm scared. And I didn't know why I was scared. And you know, now I know why, but it was just like this, this crazy dysfunction. And I became very angry at a young age and I was always screaming and crying, like not tears crying, but anger crying. Mm -hmm. And I tried to tell my mom that, you know, I was being sexually molested and she said I was watching you know, like the wrong movies. And then my brother would get yelled at and get in trouble. And so I learned not to trust people at a very young age. As I grew older, I just had this really poor self-image, um, low self-esteem, just felt really ugly all the time. And my brothers would always like threaten me. I grew up in the seventies and, you know, you weren't allowed to talk to certain people. And if you talked to them, you were, you know, basically, you know, punished. So I was really skeptical about like people and who I could talk to. And at school, I wanted to be friends with everyone. So I was very friendly. And if I was walking out of the schoolyard and talking to the wrong people, my brothers would come and like 
threaten me and yell me and tell me, no, you're not allowed to do that. If I catch you doing this, this is going to happen. So this is kind of like the cycle of me growing up. So I really never had a childhood. When I was 15 years old, we, when I was 10 years old, we moved from like the heart of the city to the country. So I went from um, busy road, tons of traffic to cornfields. And I thought, okay, the reason why we moved was because my brother had gotten stabbed at the local high school and there was so many drugs around us. There was a bar down the street and my mom was fearful for us going to this high school and living in this environment. And she was tired of us being exposed to so many drugs. Um, so we moved down to this country, right? And the first thing, the first person I met is, Hey, you want to smoke some pot? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, no, no, I don't want to do that. And I thought we moved from that area to get away from that. And here it is. So I ended up getting involved with a crowd that did a lot of drinking and smoking and, um, you know, dabbled in all kinds of different types of drugs and just numbed my pain, still so angry, not knowing why. My parents, because they were divorced, my dad would have visitation rights and he would pick me up and it was like, he'd be three hours late. We'd go to the mall, get a hot fudge Sunday, come home. And that was like the end of that, that relationship. He would call me stupid. You're so stupid. You're so stupid. I get home and my mom would literally sit me down in a chair and badger me over and over, ask me all these questions about him. You're like, what'd you do? What do you say? You know, what car, car is he driving? Did you go to his house? you know, uh, did you say anything about me? And it's just like, so if you can imagine this little girl, just so angry and frustrated, you know, you think, I think of a temper tantrum, you know, but you're older now. So a, a two-year-old temper tantrum doesn't really describe what I was feeling inside. So I just wanted out. So I literally would get up when I was old enough to you know, like 12, 13, 14 years old, I would leave my house, go, and just walk around the neighborhood with my friends. We would drink beer and smoke and do all kinds of stuff. So fast forward, I met this guy, narcissist, gaslighter. By the time I was 17, I was pregnant three times. Two of those um, ended in abortion, totally devastated me. It wasn't something I wanted to do. It was totally against my upbringing. Um, but you know, add some drugs, add some lies and you go through it. It shaped who I was as an adult. I finally got away from this person uh, when I was 18. Um, I had I have a beautiful son. He's 35 now. Um, got away from his biological father and had to repair my life, but I didn't know how. So I went through counseling and therapy and could never get to the root cause of the problem. 2013, I'm over 40. I'm like, I've had enough. I just cried out to God. I'm just like, I can't locked myself in the bathroom, crying my eyes out, crying into a pillow because I didn't want anybody in my family to hear me. And I was on the floor and I was just like, I don't even know how long I was in there in the pitch black. And I'm like, I can't do this. I want it to stop. So I went to the library the next day and got a book, Ann Volskamp's 1000 Gifts that Dare to Live Life Differently. And I love challenges. So the challenge was to write down 10 things a day that you're thankful for and the reason why you could only name your family once and every day it had to be something different. I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. I am not a thankful person. I live in upstate New York. It snows a lot and it's cloudy. So here it is in the middle of winter. I'm walking down the road. I had been on this, this gratitude thing for a week or so. 
and I'm walking my dogs, freezing cold, complaining. I'm getting ready to go to work. And I'm like, oh, it's freaking snowing outside. The roads are going to be bad. Just all this negativity. Well, all of a sudden I look up and the lights from the streetlights are glistening onto the snow and they're like diamonds rising in the sky. And I was like, wow, that is the most beautiful scene. And I'm like, I'm going to write that. I'm thankful for that. I'm like, if having a gratitude journal can change my heart to make me thankful for snow, which I absolutely despise, I don't like winter, then there's something to this. And I've never stopped doing it. And every year I've added to that where I've done a one word journey. I've focused and I realized my mind, my, my, I wasn't captivating my thoughts. I was allowing all these people, all of these different influences in my life to say, you're not worthy. You're a murderer. You're this, you're that. And I hid behind that for so many years being a people pleaser, self-sabotaging, turning to these unhealthy coping mechanisms of overeating, over drinking, um, and overspending. I actually got addicted to 0% credit cards because of this. I didn't know what the root cause was and I didn't get to the root cause until I went to this, through this class called the healing journey. And then I realized that the abortions devastated me and no one ever looks at the post-abortion, like what happens to your mind and your body and your emotions. So when I realized that and I started to get healing and I realized I needed forgiveness, but I understood forgiveness to mean forgetfulness or forgetting. And I thought, well, how can I forget that? I did it. It's my body. It's in my, it's in my brain. It's ingrained in my conscious. I can't forget this. So I went through this healing journey of forgiving myself, yours truly. And that's where the book, forgiving the girl inside, finding balance, freedom, and joy, because I was filled with hate. I was filled with disgust. I was filled with um, disdain. I just, I did not trust. I did not forgive. And I did not enjoy life. And when I implemented these different strategies from 2013 on that I talk about in my book, it was like the brick, the brick wall that I had around me just kept falling down and crumbling. And now it's completely, it's a beautiful garden wall. It's got sunflowers and there's a little chair benches that you can sit on and it's just a beautiful peaceful place now I love the way you took us on the the transition from this this almost broken little girl there Lisa you know um and you're wanting your voice to be heard you're wanting someone to to see you and it's it sounds to me like you were so so would would you say depressed as a child Mm. yeah Angry. angry they say anger is depression turned outward mm. and when you're going through all of this trying to get someone to see you you're trying to get somebody to hear you and you're just getting up every day not knowing what to expect so that survival instinct has has kicked in for you and I love how you actually um, said to, to us and shared with us so bravely, and thank you for that, that you were grateful for that because it's made you the adult and the person that you are today from those lessons. And talk us through, if you don't mind sharing, the mindset you had when you left like the narcissistic relationship 
did you kind of step into your own power at that point, thinking that you have overcome another obstacle and now it's time for you to pour into you? What was your mindset around that time? Well, we were engaged and we were, we had our wedding date set. I was 18 years old and I was with this man for three years and he, I was eight months pregnant and he cheated on me with his best friend's girlfriend. And I was in a park and I saw him with her and he tried to lie to me, tried to, oh no, you're just, we were just walking, da, 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 totally gaslighting me. And I went home and I was so angry and and I, I pictured myself with him being married to him, you know, having, I catered, catered to him big time. I mean, like I made a plate and served it to him. That's how crazy I was. Um, he said, jump. I said, how high? So I pictured myself raising our child, sitting down at meals, him not showing up, him being late, um, him going out. Like he would go out several times and leave me, um, while he went out to bars drinking and he'd come home like with lipstick on his collar and things like that. And I pictured myself and I said, my mom described my dad like that. And I know she talked about her, you know, life and getting divorced and what it was like. I mean, that was instilled. And I thought, I don't want to be like my mom. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be with this man. I don't want my child to grow up the way I grew up. I go, so I need to get away from him. And I, you know, we were very religious. So I prayed, we did the rosary a lot. And um, we went to church all the time when I was pregnant, I went to church every single day. And I said, okay, God, you know, and I feared God. I thought he was going to punish me because, you know, I, I killed two children. So I'm internal punishment. But I said in that day in church, I'll never forget. I said, I need to get away from this man. I don't know why, but I don't want to live the life my mom lived. I want my child to grow up to serve you. So just give me the, give me the, the will to get away from him. And so we got, the baby was born in May of 86 and Joshua was born in May of 86 And then in June, we were at the baptism and he showed up, he was not invited. And we're standing there um, at the, you know, with the priest and I named my son, Joshua Michael, and his father's name is Michael, his biological father. And he, when the priest asked for clarification about the name, he tried to change it. And I was like, I said, no, I'm sorry. His name is Joshua Michael. And this is his name. And we got back to the house and I, you know, I, I sat him down. I said, I'm sorry. I go, this is the commitment that I want. If you don't change, which I don't see that happening, then you're, you're done. I don't care. I want you out of my life. And he refused to change. He tried to come back like two times after that. And I was like, have you done, you know, I, I gave him a, like three things to do, go to counseling, um, start staying on a schedule, start showing up for his child. And he didn't do any of them, but he tried to come back in and use his little ways. And I don't really know what, you know, other than God, I don't really know what took my mind over, but I was just so eminent about this vision of not living the life that I knew he was going to provide. And I did not want to be there. I did not want that. And I just said, you're done. We're, We're done. And I never, I saw him once after that, like three years later. And it was very, it was very sad, very sad. So as I, I realized that I, my mom was very controlling and then I had a lot of controlling people in my life. And when I was 18, I went for counseling and I met with a counselor and she's like, you need to state I statements 
says you're not using your voice to speak. You're not asking for things that you need. She says you get mad, but nobody knows what you're saying. Nobody knows what you're thinking. You need to voice what you're thinking. So I practice these I statements. So I would come home because I was living with my mom. She was, you know, my, my babysitter. And I come home from work and I would be really frustrated because she was not following the schedule for my child. And I would say, mom, I need you. Well, what do you know? You're only 18 years old. And I'm like, no, I'm, I might be a new young mom, but you know, you were only 19 when you had my brother. So you need to let me be a mom. And that was one of my biggest challenges was realizing that I don't know. I don't. I don't believe my mom was narcissist, but my mom was very controlling and had to have the final say. And she would get so mad. And we didn't talk to each other for like seven years because I started using my voice and saying, no, this is not a healthy boundary. And I started learning about boundaries and I read every single book you could possibly read about anger because I would literally scream so loud. I would lose my voice. I would get laryngitis because I was so angry and frustrated because people weren't listening to me and they didn't value my opinion. And because I had this hurt, you know, like, and I thought to myself, well, in my subconscious, well, you're a murderer. No one's going to listen to you. You know, you're just going to have to continue catering to people and people pleasing, and you're going to need to do this, this, and this. So I was feeding that, you know, like, and I was smoking and I was drinking and I was overeating and I was just, you know, but on the outside, I had this happy face and, oh, you need something? Let me get that for you. Oh, I'll help. I'll volunteer. I'll do this. So there's like this cycle, this vicious cycle that just kept going around and around. And, and honestly, with all the years of counseling from 18 until, so from 1987 till 2013, I just lived in this vicious cycle. And it wasn't until 2013, I had my first breakthrough. And, what and happened- I took back my power. What, what happened when, when you realized that that was your breakthrough? What was the pivotal moment that changed everything for you for a breakthrough? The, the pivotal moment was that it was the walk with the snow because I really despised winter and just realizing that being grateful despite my circumstances, despite what people were doing, I could change my perspective. So I started really looking into what I wanted and I met with a counselor. I met with a coach, a mentor, and we were talking and he had said, what is one thing you want? And no one had ever asked me what I wanted. And I said, one thing I want, he goes, yeah, if you could have anything, not material things, but just something for you that would help you get rid of this anger, process this anger. Like, I want peace. You know, I want to walk into my home and know that there's peace, there's joy, and there's balance. I'm so sick and tired of running around. My mom used to tell me that, I, oh, you need to slow down. You're burning the candle at both ends. So he's like, take the word peace, learn about it, live it, meditate on it, picture yourself doing peaceful things, being a peaceful person. He goes and start asking God to see people the way that he sees them to help him to help you see yourself the way you were created. I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. To me, everything was just a challenge. All right, I'll do it. Whatever. I mean, something's got to work, right? Nothing's worked so far. Yeah. <laughs> so focusing on the one word was, was my second major breakthrough. And when I dived into peace and really understood what it meant, I started receiving it and living it. And even despite chaotic moments, I mean, I have, I have three kids, my youngest, my oldest is 35. My youngest is 23. So I never left the teenage years. 
And, you know, my husband and I always joke about how we just had this teenagers in our system. So we were glad to be empty nesters. (laughs) We recently became empty nesters and it's like, Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> we can enjoy. <laughs> like there's no there's no fighting or anything like that. But you know, to walk into a home where you have teenagers and like you know, the teenagers and the hormones and all that, it was okay. And it, my kids give me the most beautiful compliment and say, Mom, I don't know how you stayed so patient and just so calm with us when we were growing up because you know you had this. And it's like, yeah, and they saw a huge change in me in 2014. Um, just by my response to them when they would get agitated and frustrated, like, you know, when my, you know, daughter broke up with her boyfriend or something didn't go right, they didn't do well on a test or somebody made them angry or whatever. It's like, okay, well, let's talk this out and let's, let's do this. Like, what's, what's your why? Like, what do you want to, at the end of the day, what is going to matter? And that really helped them process stuff. And I I love how you bring everything around to what is your why. And I know we were talking before the show as well about what is your why and and basing all your decisions from that because you can just be more assertive and more clarified and more confident if you know your why. And it all starts there, doesn't it? That's the the first uh, step. You don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. And it all starts with, well, well, why? And it's such a powerful word. And I love how you're actually breaking those generational chains and you're you're really in alignment and you're connecting, you know, through your experiences as well so that that cycle just doesn't perpetuate and just still keep on going. And tell us a little bit about your book because I think it uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's obviously a collaboration of your whole life story. And um, what... Um, what did you feel when your book was launched? What was the feeling around that? I was scared to death. So I re- I started writing my book in November of 20. And it I, I, re- I spoke it into this Otter app. And then I uploaded it to edit it. And I edited it so many times. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm not. No, I'm not sharing that. You want me to share what? And I'd go back to, to my author coach you got to get the raw, you got to get the, the, the story. So the first page I wrote was like the main page and it's the first chapter of my book. I swore I would never tell. And I, I made a commitment. No one knew. My mom didn't know. The only person that knew was, was the boyfriend and he would threaten me all the time telling people would, you know, if he, he would threaten me saying, I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell your mom, I'm going to tell people. So when I first wrote it, the first draft included all of that. And then I reread it and I'm like, I don't want it to be about him. I want it to be about me and my purpose. And I understood that my viewpoint was so, it was so shaded because I had all these false beliefs, all these lies that people had told me throughout the years in my head. And I basically regurgitated all of the lies in my first draft and said, nope, this is all going to get, I'm taking everybody out of the story. I do talk about my mom a little bit because she was such an influencer, um, obviously in my life. Um, but because my second book is going to be about her, <laughs> um, it's called "Let's Be Real: Peaceful Conversations to Negative Outbursts." Because my mom and I fought all the time; we did not see eye to eye. But when I wrote this story and I read, I had to share the first chapter, um, the, the the crux of the story, with my group. 
And I was scared to death and they gave me some feedback and, and people were really thankful for me sharing and said, this is going to help so many. There's so many people out there. And I thought, you know, that they're all going to like, you know, get away, you're a murderer. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I'm like, okay, either ways. And in the ULA program, um, I had learned ready, set, go to work through your fears. We're only born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. All other fears are learned and can be unlearned. So I thought, all right, I'm going to work through this fear. What happens when they read my story and they find out that I'm a murderer? Because I still see myself as a murderer. What's going to happen? What's going to happen if I don't share my story? And when I mapped that out, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I was petrified. It launched on February 12th, which is my youngest son's birthday. And I was like nervous as can be. It's got a great cover. So everyone loves the cover. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm good. It. it looks amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, the cover's awesome, you know? And so people were reading the book and I would, I would get messages in my, my DM total strangers. I read your book. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, I was like, wow, okay, this is awesome. Like, you know, how can we connect? And, um, you know, do you have questions and like, how can I support you? And, um, so it turned out to be like a beautiful journey. And, you know, there was that inspiration to open up, um, my big dream is to open up a center called divine timing ministries, which is going to be a place for women who have had abortions to go post-abortion care, to get, to find out the root cause of why they're doing what they're doing so they can stop and they can too live a life that's balanced and not depend on these men or these, you know, whatever it is, whatever reason that's drawing them to have, to put themselves in these situations, just to stop, to get that healing journey that they need so they can live the life that they were designed to live. What an amazing, powerful, inspiring, empowering place to be. And I'm, I, got no shadow of a doubt that you're going to achieve that and um, no shadow of a doubt that your mom's going to love the second book as well. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to read that and I'm definitely ordering my copy as well. What kind of message would you like to leave our audience on today? I would have so many, but I think my favorite is to captivate your thoughts and really think about what you're thinking, what we believe we receive. And when you start believing what other people tell you, ask, is this truth? Does this really, is this really who I am? Is this really what I believe? Because when you can really truly know what you believe, you can move mountains. You can move mountains. Very, very powerful Thank you so much for being brave to share your story and we'll be sharing where to connect with you. You're so appreciated. Thank you very much. And you will find the Victim to Victory podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple and our Facebook group. So please subscribe, share and comment to help be the change that the world needs. Lisa, let me leave you with a message of step into your story, figure out who you are and do it on purpose. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Oh, thank you.